The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. There is nothing wrong with your television set. Do not attempt to adjust the picture. We are controlling transmission. We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. We can change the focus to a soft blur or sharpen it to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit quietly and we will control all that you see and hear. You are about to participate in a great adventure. You are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from the inner mind to the outer It's 11 o'clock and it's time for London's most thought-provoking talk. FM where we will be with you from now until noon. No, no, not right wing. Just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. And welcome to the show today, but no, it's not just right today. Believe it or not, it is once again left, right, and center, and I welcome to the studio today my former compatriots in that show for many years, broadcaster, writer, columnist, author, musician, talk show host on both radio and television, and he's done it all, folks, Jim Chapman. Welcome to the show, Jim. Thank you, Robert. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, it's so great to see you. And Jeff Schlemmer, London lawyer, community and social activist. You've been a long time debating partner with us here on left, right, and center. Well, welcome yeah. to the show. It's kind of... It is a bit like the Twilight Zone or the Outer Limits. <laughs> yeah. <somewhere> again, isn't <laughs> now, Bob, you're good. You're good at you're good at times and dates and things. How long have have we has this tradition gone on? Left well, right isn't and that funny? Because exactly where I was going to uh -huh. start. Um, you know, the first Left, Right, and Center uh, aired on September 10th, 1997. And that was, of course, over at uh, CJBK AM radio there. And eventually, uh, you know, migrated here to CHRW, mm -hmm. where um, all three of us, Jim, Jeff, and I, we continued to debate weekly until just a little over a year ago. This, this is the almost a year anniversary, <laughs> not quite. Uh, it's actually the 52nd show, so I guess I could say yeah, I've uh, done a year's worth of shows, but I had a couple weeks off for Christmas, so... Does that really count? So how you been for for the last year? Has has the world changed that much, do you think, since we last talked about issues on the left and the right and the center? Well, you have to ask Jeff because, of course, the people on the left are the ones who are anxious for change. Those of us on the center, center right are a little more, we're more comfortable with what's happening. So, Jeff, what's happened? Well, I don't know. Anything new? I, you know, after the, the Mike Harris years, I was the, I was took to calling myself the conservative because I just wanted to conserve kind of all our social programs and so on. Change, change became very scary for me. And, uh, I was reminded of uh, one of my favorite lines from the movie Wayne's World, which is, we fear change. <laughs> well, isn't that interesting? Because uh, I thought, given the name of this show, which I call now Just Right, because you guys just abandoned me and left me alone, so here I was just <laughs> left alone, just right, you know. And uh, I don't know if I've ever told you this, Jim, or uh, maybe I've told you privately, but I certainly haven't told you publicly, but I remember when you first asked me to participate in Left, Right, and Center the first time back in 97 mm -hmm. on CJBK. You called me during the summer before we started that fall. And uh, honestly, I really thought that I'd be the guy in the center, right? 
<laughs> and so, you know, because I kind of, you know, I kind of looked at you. You were sort of a right winger, and and certainly in the in the broadcast medium, you were generally as you're, in those you're more on the right. In those days, sure. yes, yes, yeah. So, but when it dawned on me I was being placed on the right, I kind of accepted that position a little reluctantly at the time. But you know, in retrospect. I think it was the right positioning, and, I've, and, and partially as a consequence of the show, our experience together, and, and my own personal experience in politics, I've, I've sort of rethought the whole issue of left and right, and I mean almost mm-hmm. dramatically, and over the past year, and I sort of wanted to bounce some of my theories off on you sure. here, just to start the show off, before we get into talking about some other things, which include, we're going to talk about bans on you know, cell phones, gun bans, uh, you know, the violence in Toronto, we talk a little bit about the environment, uh, politically correct language that's moving into City Hall, you said you've you know, you got something to show you, you're not going to believe it. Okay. But um, when I first started on the show, I remember I, I saw myself in the centre, because on a host of issues, I... I sort of didn't agree with either the liberal or the conservative position, let us say, in the official sense. For example, on an issue like abortion, you would have, and this is very broad, you know, labels here. Uh, Generally, you'd have the left wanting to subsidize it, the right wanting to prohibit it. And I I didn't believe in either of those, okay? So was I in the center or was I not on the scale? Mm -hmm. On freedom of speech, often the liberals want to subsidize speech, you know, pay for it through government, while conservatives are often seen as wanting to prohibit it. And the same with arts and entertainment. We've just heard the whole deal with you know, TV tax credits and things like that. Uh, liberals will subsidize a speech. Conservatives generally prohibit it. But here's my problem. Was I in the middle of the road because I didn't accept either position and would I, would I be seen as the middle? Or because there's another kind of person, too. There's a person who accepts both arguments, mm-hmm. the liberal and the conservative argument, Right. So he might say, yeah, I believe in subsidizing some speech, and I believe in prohibiting some, or, or, or any combination yep. thereof. So is that person also in the center? Because if, if he is, then he and I are on opposite poles. You know, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, so to me, it wasn't satisfactory. Something about the labels, I think, was wrong. So... Um, you know, I really think there's no such thing as a center, really, because it can only really be defined in, in relative absolutes. So basically, I, uh, I drew up a chart. I've talked about this on, on, on my show here before. Oh, here he goes, Jeff. He's got charts. <laughs> well, just Did you bring any chart? I have no chart. It's actually not a chart. It's two columns. And folks at home, I'm actually going to put this online on our website at uh, www.justrightmedia.org. But just for our discussion... And this is not about people. This is about ideas, okay? Mm-hmm. And so, of course, people may hold one or the other or hold both. And I, and I thought if we talked about left and right, and I just want to see what you guys might think about my, my divisions here. And, of course, understand, too, that when what I'm seeing here left, I kind of think the conservative party's on the left as I define it, too. So, well, uh, y- y- okay. can I jump in here? Sure, absolutely. I think one of the things that I learned over the years that we did this show was that um, the, how inadequate these labels are. Oh, yes. And you, you know, Bob, and you do too, Jeff, that there were days when all three of us agreed on things, sure. on issues. Precisely. Um, and yeah. I- issues of some contention, too, not mm-hmm. just not just pablum issues, but mm-hmm. issues of some importance and some contention. And there were other days when when the, the lines split, I think, in, in less expected ways, when uh, one or, or, you know, some or all of us would take positions that perhaps surprise the other ones in right. terms of uh, of what happened. I can certainly remember both you guys doing that. I know I did it on occasion, and, and we discussed it, and, and, you know, some surprise expressed. Of, gee, I, didn't, I didn't expect you would say that. So the, the problem with those labels, as with any labels, is that they are they are 
always inadequate with human beings. You can put a label on a can of beans. It is, oh, exactly. was, is, and will remain a can of beans. But human beings, human beings are, uh, are a different story altogether. And I think the sign of an active mind, the sign of an active intellect, is that you're not locked into into anything. You shouldn't. I've I fought my whole life against that, against being locked into into an ideology because it, 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 what the result is exactly what you would think when you're locked into something. You can't get out no matter what else happens. Not a good place to be. you agree with that, Jeff? With yeah, well, and uh, from time to time over the years we talked about uh, about me as a, uh, a leftish liberal and, uh, you know, over, over time uh, uh, we sort of talked within within folks like me who are who are in that category and why we're not NDP, for example. And uh, a lot of it, I think, has to do with us deciding on being more pragmatic. And uh, we used to talk about the Liberals governing by polls, Kretchen, you know, saying that the, the party was not a party of principles, it was a party of, uh, of populism, basically, and that uh, governing by polls is what they did to stay in power. And, and uh, you know, obviously that's overstated somewhat. And, uh, and uh, well, I might uh, argue that, uh, that the populism is a principle. Well, I was going to say that it's, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, you, you say these things uh, in a way to make it sort of interesting or humorous, but at root, I think that, that that is a bit of a defining characteristic for myself. And I think about how, uh, and I've mentioned this before over the years, that uh, when I was uh, a young lawyer starting out, I was, uh, was I voted for Brian Mulroney a couple of times, and I remember going to, uh, to uh, Diane Cunningham's leadership uh, uh, race back in 1990. Uh, that uh, at that time I would have considered myself uh, a conservative right winger, no, no question. And then sort of kind of pendulum swings along over to the other side, uh, and kind of having been around both, been within both camps and all that kind of stuff. Certainly during the Mike Harris years, I was, I was fairly radicalized and uh, going down to Toronto and uh, and picketing everything in sight. And well, see, Jeff, you want to talk about radical? You want to see how radical I've become in the last year? I would say that both of those camps you swung back and forth to were actually in the same camp. And all you did was pick a different person to lead that camp. Just to give you some ideas, like when I talk about left in the ideological sense, I guess we're talking in the general sense as government as a player in the game and and on the right government plays only the role of referee, very broadly speaking. Uh, You know, you can follow it back, and I did philosophically, just like back to Plato and Aristotle, which is where all ideology basically has been defined in Western culture and onward, is uh, almost defined right there and then. And generally, one sees on the left, you know, involuntary, uh, limited choice, uh, social justice, um, government-controlled economies, whereas on the, on the right you would see the words voluntary choice, individual justice. Uh, well, it's interesting to me, Bob, that you've got the, the Latin uh, translations of left and right, sinister and dexterous, yes. and it's interesting if you look at our common usage of those words today that sinister is a very negative term and it dexterous is. is a very positive term. Correct. Now, why, why, why is that? Is that? Does that flow out of mankind's experience with, think with, the, with the Platonic reality that I, it hasn't been all that successful? I, I absolutely <laughs> believe there is a lot of symbolism involved in there. A lot of this is associative, too. It's not literal, okay? It's, it's, it's associative. Th- these are also terms used in, in, in medical, uh, you know, the dexterous and the sinister. Mm-hmm. And, well, and uh, I, I believe, too, that in French... And even that in religion, uh, by the way, you know, you had uh, on the left hand of God, mm-hmm. Lucifer, mm-hmm. right? So there Why was not? always that association mm-hmm. of uh, basically right and not wrong, mm-hmm. or not left, but wrong, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Well, speaking as someone who's left-handed, I'm also aware that I, I believe in French <laughs> that gauche is another word for left as well. <laughs> yes, indeed. It's like yeah. we just catch it all over. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
so, so, so you get the general idea. Now, now, you were absolutely right when you said that a person not, is not all of these things at once. And I also, you know, when, I, when you see something like uh, what do I put on the left, I have force. That doesn't mean that on the right I don't believe that you, government doesn't use force mm -hmm. in the proper function of self-defense and enforcing contracts and things like that. Yeah. But that's generally the difference. you see anything totally offensive there or that's out of whack to you that... Uh, uh, well, I can't speak for Jeff, but if I look at, at uh, I mean, I mm -hmm. think you, you, the line is very clearly drawn here. And again... Yes, because I'm trying to polarize. Exactly it, right? right, exactly right. Uh, people move in and out of these various things. And, and for example, um, Bob's got on the right some of the, some of the characteristics. Mm -hmm. uh, the Aristotelian approach is reality, a matter of mind, reason. Um, voluntary that that, right. that uh, the people on the right generally tend to believe that we should that we should I think is not unfair we should volunteer to do the right things the left thinks we should be forced to do them if we don't want to do them on our own freedom of choice individual justice uh, science as opposed to anti-science I would I would argue that with you I don't think the left has a monopoly on on anti-science well again you're talking about the left wing and the right wing, which you know, I, I've got those yeah. very distinguished. I would, put, yes, I yeah. would put the conservative parties all on the left as well, mm -hmm. generally speaking, um, and I think that's why everybody's drifting left. Everything's drifting left. Left, right, and center are all now relative, basically, to a left wing. But position. is that uh, in this country? Let's look at this country because it, th these patterns vary, of course, throughout the Western world. There's some similarities, but they vary. But let's look at this country. The uh, the electorate has has made it fairly clear, I think, uh, both uh, uh, federally and and certainly we saw uh, provincially, that they are com most comfortable in the in sort of the vague amorphous center, uh, with no real challenge. Um, they don't want to deal with real problems, and I, I I think, and I'm not saying I'm not throwing stones at anybody. I'm saying that people in our society, for the most part, appear to be uh, uh, relatively happy with the status quo. Uh, they don't want to rock any boats, and and they don't want to move too far in one way or the other. And I would suggest to you that you look both nationally and provincially. And in fact, you can look locally, although it's a little tougher to see locally. But I think the same thing uh, pertains, that, that the Canadians as a whole, and this is not new, uh, but Canadians as a whole seemed increasingly reluctant to embrace anything that's going to um, require them to pay any attention at all. And the default position of that then is that politicians look at that and say, well, how do I best retain power? As you mentioned the Liberals before, the absolute masters of that. How do we do that? Well, what do the people want today? And, and how much do we have to promise them? How much do we have to give them versus what we can get away with promising them. And if that equation works out well, if we don't have to give them actually very much, we can promise them anything. And we have government, that kind of government, at, at both levels, in, uh, in at least in Ontario and in, well, in isn't that Ottawa. What, isn't that what you call pragmatic government? Well, pragmatic to me has a, has a more responsible sense to it. I'm not sure if you looked in the dictionary it says that, but... To me, pragmatic is means that you're you're looking you're being realistic about moving forward in a positive manner. If I were to refer, refer to someone as a pragmatic individual, that's the sense in which I would use the word. Mm -hmm. But but I would acknowledge that not everybody does. For many people, it's uh, pragmatic equals expedient, and I don't think they're son not synonymous. At least they shouldn't be synonymous. 
What about you, Jeff? What do you think about what Jim just said? There? Well, I think I think that that's right, and I, and I compare that to the situation in the United States, and, and again, how it's hard to draw lines, and, and there's all the kind of subcategories, because obviously there's a huge uh, difference between social conservatives in the kind of fundamentalist religious sense versus uh, libertarian conservatives, uh -huh. as an example, and how in the United States we see the example where the religious right are quite interventionist and want to, again, dictate social mores and all that kind of stuff. Um, I would say more than more than kind of a. But Bob would Bob so. would say they're not on the they're not on the right. Bob well, would say they're on the left. Okay. Well, and yeah, Jim and gets it. Having, <laughs> having said that, I, you know, <laughs> and again, I guess it's a question of sort of where where you do start to get into the right. Like, do you get into you know well, you fascism? Know, I don't funny. know. But but I look at things like, for instance, uh, how although in Canada. Uh, we talk about expediency and so on. There are there are some things that there seems to be kind of a, a national co consensus about, and one of them right now is deficits, as an example. Mm -hmm. And I was reading yesterday uh, uh, some columns about that and how you know it, it's fairly unthinkable right now for a Canadian government uh, to run a deficit. And if we get into a recession, it'll be interesting. But I believe that right now the the annual uh, deficit in the United States is is more than our entire national yes. debt. And uh, you know for what many would consider to be among the most conservative governments that they've ever had, uh, again, they, they, they seem to have no trouble with spending like there's no oh, tomorrow, more, uh, more uh, so again, than any left that's why, that's a, You just gave me another reason why I would say they were on the left. You know, like John <laughs> Stossel is always on about how Republicans spend just as much as Democrats mm -hmm. or anyone else. But just my, my last thing on this whole left, right, and pragmatic. I think, I think and I remember having this conversation with a, on left, right, and center with, of all people, Tom Gosnell when mm -hmm. he was on the show once, and he, and he said he was pragmatic. And I suggested, well, him being pragmatic and, say, Susan Eagle being pragmatic are two different things mm -hmm. because their pragmatism is still affected by their ideology. So that if you were to say to a person on the right who agrees with private property rights and things like, how, what would you do about housing? Well, he wouldn't be thinking about, uh, he'd be thinking about lower taxes, incentives to get, you know, housing mm -hmm. industry going. He wouldn't be thinking about grabbing money from the taxpayer, which is also a pragmatic thing mm -hmm. to do, and putting it in the housing, as well, I see, would say. There's the there's and I would say they're both pragmatic, given the existing conditions and what you have. You just take what you got. Well, there, there I would invoke my, my uh, non-dictionary uh, uh, refining of the word pragmatic and replace it with expedient. I think they're, from on, the, on that issue, both of them are expedient politicians. They're looking for how to accomplish what they want to accomplish. Well, um, maybe I need to uh, talk to the people who write the dictionaries and see if they can make that <laughs> finer distinction. I just hate well, to see that wonderful word uh, pragmatic being uh, morphing into something else, which I think it has over the past two or three decades. Um, that's true. Again, that's why I think words like this and terms like this need a definition, and once you establish it, you can kind of work with it. But I think that's all we can say about that for today, because I don't think we'll ever <laughs> arrive on a conclusion. Maybe we'll start looking at a couple of examples of this in action, and we'll just take a quick break right now. When we come back, we'll be talking about some of that force and play that the government uses on uh, banning stuff all the time. By the way, 519-661-3600 is the number you can call if you want to join in on the conversation today, and we'll be back in two minutes. I had to drive to Windsor last week, and I'm driving on the highway, and I'm reading a sign on the side of the highway that says, uh, using cell phones causes accidents. Then I rammed into a guy. <laughs> Guess reading those signs hurt, too, huh?
now we're at myth number three. Guns are bad, evil, and of course we need more gun control. Well, guns do cause terrible harm. We have 15 fatalities. America is notorious for its culture of gun violence. One more addition to the litany of gun tragedy. Not to mention all the gun accidents. We know many kill kids. The PSAs and news stories make it seem as if the accidents kill thousands of kids every year. Bang, 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 bang. But the Centers for Disease Control says the real number for kids this age is fewer than 50. That's still terrible. I understand why these demonstrators say we need more gun laws. We want sensible gun control legislation. We are the voice of the majority of Americans. It is time we were heard. And the media seem to want gun control. Why is it so hard for Congress to pass a gun control bill? Welcome back. You're listening to Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where we'll be with you from now till noon. 519-661-3600 is the number you can call if you want to join me, Jeff Schlemmer, and Jim Chapman for a round of left, right, and center. I guess an anniversary round Hmm. since uh, we haven't done this in about a year. Uh, You heard those clips there. Was that Rosie O'Donnell? Uh, Sorry? Was that Rosie O'Donnell on the, uh, the majority of Americans? No, I don't no? think okay. so. I'm no. not. Oh, I'm not sure who the actual speaker was in the clip, but that was definitely a John Stossel clip. And uh, of course, we've been hearing a lot about banning all sorts of things, from cell phones to handguns, smoking in cars with children, pesticides, light bulbs, plastic ba- bags. It goes on and on. And uh, just earlier this week, a study out of Calgary discovered that quote uh, cell phone laws have no effect on the rate of accidents. And I noticed the local reaction of the media that I heard suggested that this contradicted all previous uh, studies that showed <laughs> cell phones cause accidents and that they're a distraction. Well, it's self-evident, isn't it, uh, Bob? I mean, Well, again, I don't think they were listening to what the people were saying in the study. I yeah. don't think it contradicted that because what the, what this, the study did not say that cell phone use does not contribute to accidents. What it said was that cell phone laws <laughs> had no effect on the accidents. What it didn't say was that maybe because nobody's paying attention to those <laughs> laws, right? They're going ahead and using their cell phones anyway. And I think it's kind of predictable. And it's the same with, uh, you know, the McGinty government, and you got the mayor of Toronto, David Miller, jumping in on the let's ban handguns when we get a, an outbreak of violence in Toronto. And, and how many times do you have to ban handguns before they're banned? I mean, they've been banned as long as I've been alive. Yep. It, there, how, you have a law there, and for some reason it's not enforced, and they think by passing the law again it makes it go away. So I guess my question to you is, are these bans completely useless laws, or do you think that they actually serve a purpose of some sort? I don't sort? think they're completely useless. I think there are things, and here we come back to, to sort of moving across the spectrum. There are, there are bans that I fully support, and one of them is smoking in cars with kids. I grew up in a family where my parents both smoked, and I grew up driving to Grandma's house on Sunday in a car full of smoke. Um, I don't know how harmful that is to me today or how harmful it was then. I don't know how much that may have increased my my chances of getting lung cancer or whether it affected it or not, but I'll tell you it was damned unpleasant. And my parents did it because in those days you just did it. Nobody thought okay, anything of it. Let me ask you, what, what, what penalty would you have the law enact on your parents then for having done that? Well, what's a, what's a similar penalty for for uh, treating the welfare of your child in a cavalier manner. What do we do then? If we, if we if parents are ignoring the, shall we say, the needs of their children, the parents are not providing a, 
uh, a reasonable, safe home environment. What kind of penalties? I don't know what the penalties are for that. Well, so no, I'm that's, not, a reasonable, I'm that's a reasonable answer. I accept that as an answer. That's a good answer, actually. But do you think that, in essence, aren't we going a little overboard? I mean, um, first of all, you have to catch the parent doing this. But, it's, but, not, but none of this is about catching, at least the, with this, it's not about right. catching people. It's the same as speed limits. Speed limits aren't about catching people, or, or they'd be pulling people well, out. They'd, they'd have, there'd be a machine out there on the 401. They'd be raking in billions of dollars a year. Many of the rules and laws that we have are not about catching people, not about punishing people, but about establishing some standards and saying, these are standards that as a society we think are a pretty good idea, and, and, and this is how we let you know that, that most of the rest of of us think this is a pretty good idea. Those kinds of laws and restrictions I have a lot less trouble with than I do with banning cell phones, for example, because mm-hmm. I, I don't think that, that the cell phone is the problem. I also don't think the person using the cell phone is the problem. The problem is the attitude of the person using the cell phone. If you, like I do, use a cell phone infrequently when you're driving, but with a really heightened sense of where I am, because let me tell you, if my phone rings, Often I won't answer it if I'm driving, but if I'm expecting an important call, sometimes I have no choice. I'm paying more attention, and I'm a pretty careful driver to start with. I'm paying even more attention to what's going on mm-hmm. around me. I you don't think I don't. Yeah, we got a caller on the line who wants to ask a question. I guess hello, caller. Uh, hi there, hi. Uh, gentlemen. Uh, actually, not a question. I just wanted to make a brief comment. Sure. Uh, first, uh, very nice to hear the three of you on the radio again. Well, thank you very Thanks. much. Yes. Um, I always enjoyed in the past listening to this particular group, uh, particularly because I appreciate your ability to put different views on the table and still maintain an air of civility. Oh, you don't know what's going on in the background here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm sure it's good. Um, I wish we could see more of this in the media. Um, I wish we could, too. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, uh, you brought up an issue here that I could talk about for 15 minutes, but, but, but I don't want to cut you off yet. Yeah, so all this to say that, um, you know, I think the uh, listening public is well served by hearing um, different viewpoints. We can all then make up our own minds. But the key thing, it has to be done with an air of civility, not bickering and uh, this type of nonsense. It just drives me nuts when I hear uh, ad hominem attacks yeah. on people. Yeah. You know, if, if mm-hmm. you don't like what someone's saying, you attack the uh, the viewpoint with, with logic and facts. You don't attack attack the person. And this is what I find you, you three are very good at doing, and I very much appreciate it. Well, well thanks, thank you. Thanks. Well, there's a compliment. Uh, you don't get that too often. <laughs> but you know the caller brings something up, too, is the whole lack of civility that is, we've even seen locally, you know, with the accusations of even racism, front page newspaper mm-hmm. headline, you know, just because they're talking about housing or yeah. something like that, you know. And uh, I guess it comes in e- even to the issues that we were talking about uh, on, on the bans and stuff, uh, that the way people argue them isn't really... Well, I, I have a theory about that. Oh. Can I share my theory sure. with you? I know oh. Jeff was about to say something well, before, well, but we'll I'm get to sorry. him oh, after. Go ahead. Well, I was just oh. going to say that, that, that I think I'm lucky coming from the tradition of, uh, of being a trial lawyer, that uh, as lawyers we have a strong kind of tradition of civility, and the ideal, again, is that you go and fight your brains out all day in court, but then you go have a beer together and, and remember that you're doing a job, basically, and making arguments, but it's not personal. And uh, and also that uh, in the forum that I usually argue in, uh, making personal attacks would usually not be a good idea uh, because judges wouldn't like it. <laughs> so, well, usually uh, backfires in the long run too. I uh, think I have I, I have a theory about why this happens, and I I'm not sure that I. Uh, 
could have articulated this before I ran for public office last fall. I think why the three of us are capable, are able to do what we do and have done for so many years is because not only because we like and respect each other, but because none of us comes here and lies. Um, in the political arena, and I can tell you this from firsthand experience, and I'm not going to name any names, and it's not sour grapes on my part, believe me, but the biggest, not surprise to me because I knew it went on, but the most disturbing element of, of that election was the number of blatant, outright lies. And I'm not talking about differences of political opinion. I'm talking about lies, factual, factually, mm -hmm. factual well, inaccuracies. I, I know. <laughs> um, and, and I think when you're dealing with other people who will sit, who sat at a table here, if one of, one of us started to, to just spout rhetoric that was hogwash, that, that we all knew was hogwash, including the person saying it, knew it was untrue, I'm not sure how civil we would remain. But I think the reality is that none of us comes here and tells any lies. We may disagree on the interpretation of facts, but I think generally just about every topic that we've ever discussed, there at some fundamental level, the three of us will agree on a, on a stated set of facts, whether we say it or not. So here are the facts in the case. Now, what do you make of this? You know, even on the, on the most fundamental level, I've always thought a free society is one in which people could coexist and disagree all they want. Yeah. Right? That's why you have those lines called Disa property lines. Disagree right? on interpretation, though. Don't make up your own facts. And I think when that happens, and it happens so often in political discourse, and how do you sit across from someone and afford them any level of respect if they are uh, using the same medium that you are, whatever that may be, whether you're live or television or radio or whatever you are, and they're lying to, to, the, to the listeners or the viewers. It's very difficult. I know from experience it's very difficult to maintain a sense of civility when you're, when you're put in that position. Now, to some extent, I guess, and I don't know if in fairness is the right, word, right words to use here, but uh, we, we have the luxury here of the stakes not being dramatically high, I suppose, and uh, so we have no reason really to lie that, that I, I like to but think that we're all about trying to... Cause, and the other thing is, I think we have open minds. Like, yeah, I think that but it's what stakes, Jeff? What stakes are there that are, that are high enough for people to abandon their integrity. I, I, I have a huge problem, and I know people said this to me after the election when I, when I commented on this, and said, well, you know, you've followed politics for years. You were a reporter for years and years and years. You knew that this was going to go on. I said, yeah, but I never, I never felt it in my gut. I never sat at a table and had somebody who I previously respected sit there and, and lie to people. But the and other part of it, too, is that, uh, that it seems to be the case, or at least we hear this all the time, that attack ads work. You know, if they didn't work, if the public were, you know, down on that. And they seem to be more down on it in Canada so far, at least. And I don't know if, if, that's, if that's just my kind of flag waving showing through. But, but we don't see the kinds of attack ads that you see in the United States in our elections. No, and I don't. think there's a reason for that. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I agree with you. And, and I think that uh, from my end of it, I would hope that, I, that my BS detector could be on enough that if I see somebody who's doing that kind of thing, that my respect would go down and I would not want them running my country or whatever it is. Um, but I also fear that a lot of people fall for it, which is why they do it. Well, listen, guys, we've got to take a break. It's the bottom of the hour. We're going to take a break here and we'll come back and discuss some other issues, including one of the ones that I think that there is a, a bit of lying going on, and that's the whole global warming and environmental scare. But we'll take this break, folks, and we'll be back. 519-661-3600 is a number you can call if you want to join the conversation. Back in a minute. Everyone's complaining about the kids now. The kids are going crazy. School shootings. You know, kids have always sucked in every generation. It's parents. That's the problem. Honestly, I really believe that. There are these kids in Colorado. They built 50 bombs. <laughs> they built 50 bombs in their bedrooms, and no one knew about it. 50 bombs in their bedroom. I once buried a Playboy under a garbage can in my neighbor's yard. My mother caught me in an hour. 
Companies cutting down the forest? In a couple of years, it's going to be tough to hide a body. <laughs> Probably take away some of the mystery shrouding the Sasquatch. There he is. <laughs> Behind that stump. Can't wait to go camping with my kids. That'll be fun. Come on, kids, let's go visit the enchanted thicket. Welcome back to The Outer Limits with Jim Chapman, Jeff Schlever, and Bob Metz. You're listening to Just Right here at CHRW 94.9 FM, 519-661-3600, the number to call if you want to join in the conversation today. And it's a subject I have talked, it's probably become, not on purpose, it just sort of evolved that way as I've been doing this weekly for a year. Uh, I think my number one uh, subject has become the whole issue of the environment and climate change, particularly the whole thing with regarding CO2 and all of the uh, credits that the countries want to pass back and forth. Apparently Al Gore had a meeting here in Canada just a while ago, wasn't it? Just up in Montreal mm -hmm. or somewhere, and Glenn Pearson locally and some of the Liberals went up, and yeah. I already see some of uh, pardon me, that propaganda coming back to us to haunt us for the next few months. You know, Bob, I've got to say, in all the years that I did my show, I had one rule that I think we that we that we stuck with pretty much all the time, and was that I would never debate religion. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's what you're about to do here. You want to debate oh, religion? You're telling me. And uh, in, in fact, I remember the last time the three of us talked about this. Jeff, you kind of almost accepted it as a religion. You said, you said, well, even if the facts aren't consistent with, with with the facts, let's say, uh, it was still a good thing to do. Like, I mean, conservation's always good. But here's a quote for you I wanna, want you to consider, and this is from um, Al Gore himself at the, at the conference, and, he's, and this was in the London Free Press, April 6. He says, quote, I'm trying to avoid the political situation, in part because I'm trying to lift this issue into a moral framework. Yeah, well, there you go. Where I believe it belongs, there end quote. So, what do you what do you think? Are you still uh, you still uh, in, into Earth Day and all that stuff? Did you turn off your lights, Jeff? Yes, I did. Yeah, <laughs> you did. Yeah, did do that. Yeah. Well, I guess. Uh, well, it was I, bedtime I, too, so uh, I mean, it's <laughs> don't make too I'm much. Getting older that. now, you know. Yeah. That's right. But I, uh, the first thing that uh, that I would have to declare is that I am certainly no expert on this stuff and have not followed it particularly closely. But from my kind of uh, speaking as somebody who's not close to it i guess what what i fall back on uh as my default in this is a numbers game and and you know you could tell me that uh, that i haven't got it straight through the media but there seem to be a lot more scientists saying that there's something to it than the ones saying there's not. There seem to be. Yeah, I like so that. You know, I like can, it when you you're definite that. about things. You you it can tell seems me that. to well, be. Well, I, I can contradict that, but, but go so, on. So, so, so that being the case, so it's like, uh, you know, if you're in a room and, uh, and you've got a bunch of people thinking one thing and a couple thinking the other thing, without looking into it further, that's, I think, where a lot of people sort of default to. And, and you know, there are lots of things that I probably am not in the majority in my viewpoint in, in around. I'm a, a minority. So I realize that that's a, a, uh, an argument with a big fallacy or a big well, I have a question. I have a question. I'm not sure this for either of you guys, but whatever happened to global warming? 
Do you notice we don't talk about global warming much anymore? It's no, now it's climate change. Yeah, they have to cover the rear end. So uh, I'm just, you know, I've always been ske- skeptical about this because I am a skeptic by nature. And when, when they first started to scream and holler, uh, and I'm no expert like Jeff, uh, as Jeff says, I'm no expert either. I don't pretend to any expertise here at all. But I'm, I'm always skeptical of people who say, uh, I have the only solution. I have the only answer. And, and David Suzuki, who is revered by these folks, was a guest on my television program some years ago. I have a tape of it. And, uh, <laughs> and said something to the effect of, uh, all the reputable scientists in the world agree. And I said, well, something to the effect of, I don't have a tape of it, but something to the effect of Dr. Suzuki. There are many scientists who, while they may not oppose you on this, are not at all convinced that, that the position you've taken is correct. Uh, and 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 his response was, well, they're not reputable. Well, you know, that if 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 this is your response to anyone who disagrees with you, with every reputable individual agrees with me, and if they disagree, they are by definition disreputable. I have a huge problem with whatever whatever you're putting forward without using that logic to defend it, whether it's global warming or or cell phones in cars or whatever. That sort of turned me off right at that point. Well, so there's I, I, a religious argument right well, there. We is. don't want any debate. It's doctrine. That's done. right. It is. But having said that, if somebody says to me, "Is pollution something that would be better off trying not to do?" I'd say, "Yeah." Sure, and I would agree with you. And in <laughs> fact, pollution, pollution aside from certain things in the atmosphere, pollution in this part of the world is significantly reduced from what it was 20 and 30 well, years absolutely. ago. And well, there are lots and lots and lots of studies. In fact, you don't have to study it. Get on the Thames River, where when I was a kid in the 60s, you wouldn't put a toe in that river. If my mother had found out we even got damp from that river. You came home and were scrubbed down. Well, if you were a mile uh, up, upwind of either side of the river on a given day, yeah. you could pass. Yeah, up. although I, you know, I've heard that argument, and I know that uh, my dad talks about when he was when he. That's was, a fact. What's it's not an argument. It's true. <laughs> Let's come back. The water is much cleaner well, than it was. Let me finish off here. That uh, that a hundred years ago it was all steam engines. It was smoky. That's why the East End is uh, is where the factories were because of the prevailing winds and all that stuff. And it's like yes, in yeah. the urban areas, which were a lot smaller than they are today, mm-hmm. things were a lot more polluted. They were London, England, horribly polluted city. Blah mm-hmm. blah blah. But I don't know whether with the our kind of expanding out into all the farmlands and the and the forests and all that kind of stuff, whether it doesn't balance out in some way like that. Because of course there are lots of things that we're much cleaner about than we were, but there's a lot more of us than there used to be, and well, we're taking up a lot more. And land I'm not saying for a minute to. that we that we should not continue to move in that direction. I think it'd be lovely if someday you could go and drink from the Thames River as people could 200 years ago. Uh, I'm you know would I spend uh, uh, huge amounts of public treasure to to make that happen? Not unless the public was absolutely clear that's what they wanted i sure wouldn't do it because dave suzuki thought it was a good idea yeah well and and that that's i guess where the where some of the debate lies i was reading about uh i think the liberals had announced recently that they're going to try and clean up the pcbs out in the east end of town for example uh, out at uh was it westinghouse was out there i can't yeah, remember uh, anyway those, yeah. whatever they were and uh, and it's like it seems to me pcbs seem to be a bad thing seem to be everybody's freaked out about them blah 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 so it's like okay if somebody says to me we shouldn't have pcbs i go yeah okay well, I know that from my years of working in the energy industry many years ago that the PCBs were a big issue then. And while there's no denying that they are uh, proven to be deleterious to your health, um, I remember an engineer telling me at the time, and this was long before I was in the media, but telling me at the time, he said, you could take a bath in a bucket full of PCBs and wouldn't hurt you. Um, he said, there's, a, there's this huge public fear that has driven, if you've got a drop on your skin, you're doomed. He said, it's just nonsense. It is, it's a dangerous, it's a dangerous uh, chemical. A polychlorinated biphenyl, is that what it is? I don't even know. But like asbestos is another example where asbestos was a wonderful thing when I was a kid, now it's a bad thing. Well, it's not a bad thing. Uh, Let let, let me talk about this for a second, too. Asbestos (laughs) is bad if you breathe it. 
right? Yeah. You don't want to breathe this stuff. If you're in a situation, you have a building with asbestos in the building and the asbestos is in the air, boy, you better fix that. But we've become obsessive about removing asbestos from old buildings where the asbestos is absolutely sealed. Nothing's happening to it. It's not coming out. Nothing's, nothing is, it's not giving off anything. Little particles aren't flying through the air. Believe me, I'm not here to defend asbestos, folks. Don't get me wrong. But that's another example where you say to many people today, oh, there's asbestos there. Oh, my God, it's the end of the world. Well, maybe it isn't. There are lots of houses in this city that still have asbestos in them. Hope, we, we, hope, we hope that they're properly wrapped. Usually it's pipe insulation. We hope that it's properly wrapped and remains properly wrapped. And if you have a licensed furnace technician come into your home and they see that it isn't, they're gonna, they will report you now. They will refuse to work on that furnace until that is repaired. But this, there's a hysteria about PCBs and, and asbestos and a lot of other things that we've developed this hysteria about. And I think it, it, it behooves us to step back every once in a while and say, okay, I'm really afraid of this, but it, exactly why am I? And are the energies okay. I'm expending in this direction, are they useful? Am I making a, you know, should I be more afraid of something else? Oh, sure. I, mean, I remember you talking about West Nile and uh, how infrequently that happens. And I remember the argument being made one year about, uh, you know, 50,000 Americans died in Vietnam. And isn't it terrible? But 50,000 die on the highway every year. Uh, you know, why isn't that a, a bigger concern and, uh, and so on? Uh, let, I, I just have to share this with you because I thought this was a really interesting stat. And, and uh, as with all stats, take it with a grain of sand. And I did not double check it. But it was in the National Post yesterday the day before. And they were talking about, uh, about longevity in the United States and saying that the life expectancy in the United States states um, was uh, um, among the lower in the, in the Western world. But if you factored out uh, accidental issues, traffic accidents in particular, then in fact it was the highest in the Western world. So if you take out some of these 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 optional uh, uh, forms of death, death by misfortune, well, death by misadventure, they, uh, whatever, yeah, yeah misadventure. If you t if you take that out, the the uh, the uh, longevity of the United States is actually first in the world. And I in fact, interesting but I, but I was at the same that. time, that death by misfortune seems to indicate Americans are freer to move about and do mm -hmm. stuff and take higher risks. I think there's stuff, no question know? about that. So. But but it, it struck me when you were talking about kind of the mandatory banning of things and so on, and I was thinking about uh, cars as an example and how I got a car last year and it's got I think six airbags in it now and when I was shopping there was another car that was similar where, where the anti-lock brakes were optional it was another $500 and I was seriously thinking yeah, I can probably get away without anti-lock brakes you know blah 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 and yet the car I ended up buying does have them uh, and then if it were put to me you know well it's another $500 for airbags do you want those or not I don't know if I would get them or not, and, and yet I'm glad now having got all that stuff, uh, it, it seems like... Well, because you're invulnerable I'm now. not... Well, I can't be trusted with my own safety. Well, and that's exactly... That, that's the point of that, of that attitude but if towards they, safety. But if they leave all these safety things to us, you know, lots of us would choose not to have seatbelts and so on, and yet sort of I still read the paper all the time, so-and-so was ejected yeah. from a car and killed and so on. There are some things that seem like a darn good idea, but I'm not sure if I would... Get, if it was left to me, if I would pay for them. Well, the problem with those safety... Many of those safety devices is that statistically they're not necessarily reducing accidents. They're, they're reducing fatalities. They're not necessarily reducing accidents. In fact, there's some, in, uh, some studies that suggest that they've actually increased the number of accidents because people do feel invulnerable. I actually did a, sh I did a thing on the show earlier about how many deaths and injuries are caused by airbags accidentally going off, which no one talks about, and it yeah. is scary. And not just that, but, but the, the sense that you take the average North American who doesn't know any better and, and put him or her into an SUV uh, a truck-like vehicle surrounded by airbags, and they think they can drive any damn way they please, particularly if it's four-wheel drive. 
Well, I know, it's, there's a sleet storm and it's snowing. Well, I don't, I've got four-wheel drive. I'm fine. Oh, yeah, there's, a, there's a certainly a sense of security about that. You know, Jeff, Jeff said something earlier that, that I just had to comment on. He was talking about the way he arrives uh, at a conclusion on an issue with regard to, you know, the whole environmental thing and, and global warming. And, and Jeff, you, you said that you sort of, you know, you listen to what the people around you are saying, what the general consensus is, and, and you kind of go with it. Well, you, still have, you still have that little crystal ball that the yeah. liberals give you, don't you? <laughs> don't you still have that? No, but I think, I think what Jeff described is how, and I, I think that's an honest way of going about things. Mm-hmm. I think that's the way most people do. And mm-hmm. it, but to me, it defines a bit where I see the problem. If you're reading the London Free Press every day, Jeff, you, you've, got, you've got exactly the ideas you'd be getting from the Free Press. If, but if you're l- reading the National Post uh, day after day after day, and I've got them all. Let me tell you, there's one every day practically, mm-hmm. a scientist you know, who's saying something against Kyoto and all this. There's also the Oregon Accord, which is set, signed by thousands of real scientists mm-hmm. against Kyoto who, who have all kinds of competing things. And uh, so, so well, that's to true. me, the issue is how can the public really have an informed opinion? Well, I think it's up to the like it's up to the pu- it's up to the media pub- doing job. It's up to public to get the information, and it's yeah, not it's not a, no no it's not an easy job. You have job. to go out for every single little thing. Yeah, that, you do. That the gov- you do. Yeah, you do. If you want to be an informed citizen, that's your responsibility. If you don't want to be an informed well, citizen, fine. On you an have issue that like this, I would agree with you. But on every little issue, do you think, or just well, where really do where do you expect one? to Where's get the priority? where do you expect to get the information? Would be my question. Well, that's where it's hard, although the Internet can make it easier. I was going to say that as far, sure. as, as, far as newspapers, like most days I read uh, the Freeps Online, uh, Globe and Mail Online, Star, I read the National Post at work, um, so we have that. Um, and, and the reason I do is to get that diversity of opinion, but I also tend to read just uh, a relatively narrow slice of the paper. It's kind of these are the issues that I'm most interested mm-hmm. in, so I'm up on those, and there's all kinds of things going on that are in those papers that I could read about, but I just feel I don't have time. As it is, you know, reading five papers or four papers, whatever it is, takes a while. And and again, I think it, it, the average person, and I agree with you, Jim, that people shouldn't be voting if they're not somewhat informed on things, um, but to try and know everything about everything, like uh, plastic bottles, for instance, now plastic bottles are bad, and it's like, I don't, I don't have time to look into all this stuff. And everything no, and, and, and I, don't, I don't think that, that we, uh, I, I was being a little bit facetious, but not much mm-hmm. in saying that, but that really is your only choice. But you have other ways, though, than reading the encyclopedia from cover to cover every day, or covering every news medium in the world. And, and trying to make sense of all of them, synthesize the, the, the truth out of that. And my dad taught me this at a very early age. Um, he said, if you look at something or somebody says to you something to you, the first test you apply to that is, does it make sense? And if it doesn't make sense, and, and what he meant by sense was applying your critical faculties yeah, to smell it. Test. Yeah, if you, if, yeah, if it smells a little <laughs> funny, then, then, then you know, take, take note Beware. of that before yes. you go any farther. Yeah. And I think that's where many folks perhaps... Um, do not expend even a minimal amount. And I'm not attacking anybody here. You live your life the way you want, as far as I'm concerned. It's a free country. It's supposed to be. Well, Jim, you know, you talk about, we've got to take a quick break. You talk about making sense. I've got something to show you. You tell me if the thing I'm going to show you makes any sense at all. We're going to take a quick break now, folks. 519-661-3600, the number if you want to call in, and we'll be back in two minutes. I'm not trying to poke fun of anybody, humiliate anybody, or alienate people. It's not, it's not what I do. Because you know? there's really only one group of people you can kind of poke fun of and not worry about offending anybody or having any human rights activists come after you. Right? That group is men, isn't it? 
Men are fair game because you never hear a nasty man joke and see a guy stand up in a rally of support around his brotherhood saying, hey, that's not funny. I just came from my Promise Keeper support group. They would not be impressed with that. And women are always making fun of men, right? Like, like when women imitate men. When women pretend to be men, it's always some butt-strutting, crotch-picking, foul-mouthed macho moron. Look at me. Hey, I'm a guy. Come on. I'm a guy. Hey, I'm a guy. Like, is that what all men are like, really? It's not, not really the point that I was trying to make. Here. People are too polite. <laughs> You're going to say something, you'd be politically correct about it, that's for sure. That's the way we are. I was saying this to a friend of mine who works for the government financial assistance program, and I said to him, Grant, <laughs> Grant, I said, we have new terms now for people that do have physical attributes or disabilities. People aren't blind anymore, we say visually impaired, so much nicer. People aren't retarded, they're developmentally disabled. Yeah. I no longer have a big nose, I'm nasally abundant. Did you know that? Nasally abundant. Like a compliment, like I'm doing well in the nose department. Things are okay for me. Welcome back to Just Right on CHRW, which today is left, right, and center, along with Jeff Schlemmer and Jim Chapman, who joined me in the studio today. And uh, guys, I just handed you uh, a little flyer that was actually passed along to me by someone working at City Hall here in London. And this is some of the stuff that they've been teaching them at their human rights workshops, some of the phrases and the new grounds for discrimination that are being added to the old ones. You see the old ones up there, eh? Race, ancestry, color, place of origin, etc., etc. And they've now added uh, financial status, lack of formal power in position, lack of access to being heard and understood, lack of access to information. And on that second page, they have all what they call building blocks of advantage. I, I covered these once on, on the show before when, when it was first brought to my attention. And uh, basically, they identify, you know, you have an advantage on the workplace if you don't live on a fixed income, if you're born in Canada, if you're white, if you're heterosexual, if you have a stable income, uh, if you're male, if uh, you're not responsible for caring for children. You, you see all these, eh? And they, they you know what it doesn't more. say anywhere is smarter than the average bear, though. I mean, the reality is that, <laughs> that, we, that we do have advantages and disadvantages. Some people are more intelligent than others. Some people are able to, to cope and operate better than others. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and many of these things, I think, flow from that reality. But I don't see anything in here acknowledging that. There's, it's not here anywhere. Well, does that circumstance even exist within, quote, the civil service, so to speak? Jeff, you must know about this. You work with human rights commissions. You're kind yep. of a, you're in the social engineering <laughs> business, you know. Trying what, to what, what are they going to do? wrongs, that's what true. What are they doing with these things? What, what is all this stuff? I, I can't even see how... I have no idea what that all is. But I, I, I uh, first of all, I'm relatively familiar with the human rights legislation mm -hmm. and all that stuff. And I would suggest to you that... Uh, certainly in North America, at least 
we're in a much better place than we were 50 years ago in terms of the way we treated people who were just as smart as other people but happened to be the wrong color or the wrong gender or whatever. I, I was kind of surprised actually this week to see that we've, we've named our first woman to the Business Hall of Fame in London. I, that surprised me too, to be honest with yeah, you. Yeah, you know, and I, I actually gave a, I gave a talk <laughs> to some grade five students last week at uh, Byron Somerset School. And, and Oh, which begs the question, are you smarter than a fifth grader? Well, no, clearly not in okay. many ways. Sorry, I couldn't get into <laughs> math. But, but anyway, I... I um, talked to them about civics, and I, I talked to them about about the importance of their career as Canadian citizens and what it, what it's going to mean. I talked to them about the legal system, the political system, and so on, and the importance of voting. and And I I showed them a slide of the Charter of Rights, and uh, and they sort of had no idea what that was, what it's about, and so on. I said, well, you know, there's discrimination that people have been treated unfairly, and so on. There's a lot less now, but there's still some problems, and uh, and give them some examples of things that seem to be problems still. Anyway, I, I think it's great that little kids don't think in those terms anymore, that they don't think about color. I, I don't think. I don't think they really think about, about gender and stuff, but th there are still some problems out there. I, I think that the biggest problem that's still out there is who raises kids. And until we figure well, that yeah. one out. <laughs> Amen to that. But I, but I want to talk about one thing here. Sure. The, with one of these, one of the advantages, mm -hmm. is that, and, and I think the language here tells me, uh, at least makes the hackles go up the back of my neck, temporarily abled. Oh, that, well, that I is, you, you yeah, spotted that. That is no <laughs> disability. So, and I, I guess the implication there is that we could all become disabled, and I think that's something that is very useful to remember when we talk about issues surrounding disability, that, that it could happen to any of us. It's not just that guy over there who's got a problem. It could be any of us, and I'm very much in favor of of. of Anything that reminds us of that, not compels well, us to do anything end about it. in the grave someday. But, we, but something that reminds about. us of that. So I look at this and I think I'm I'm guessing that the person who brought this forward had what they thought was a very noble goal, and yet when I look at it in black and white on the paper, that this is a this is a building block of advantage is that you are temporarily abled. Oh my goodness. And to me, what does that advantage imply in law? Remember, when you put these in the Human Rights Commissions, you're not talking about grounds for discrimination. You're talking about grounds for legal action. Well, That's these what they mean. Yeah, but this isn't, this isn't the commission. This is somebody who's written a book or something where they talk about the commission recognizing 14 potential grounds. We've added four, whoever wrote the book, which are the financial status, lack of formal power, blah, blah, blah. And what I see in those building blocks is, if this is for employees, for instance, is mm -hmm. we'd like you to err on the side of being really, really safe. Do you think so that's what it is trouble. because uh, if that is what it is then I think it's not a bad idea you know it's be, be aware of these things but I don't think that's what this is that's well, not what it looks like to me well I can tell you that uh, lack of formal power and position is not a protected ground under any human rights code that I've heard of but having said that is it a good idea if you're a boss to be aware that some of your employees or the people you're dealing with at the front counter may have uh, sure of course it is it's, it's this may be a prohibited thing now at city hall is that what you're saying well and it says here knowledge your skill knowledge your skill is a building block of ad of advantage well, of and it is. advantage to me, in a, in to a me that boils down to what we something we talked about earlier which is civility and kind of uh, treating uh, other people with respect and so on and i think that if you work at mcdonald's for instance and you don't treat your customers with a lot of respect and deference and all that stuff then you're going to get fired uh, so that's not that different than saying if you work at city hall and you treat people like crap which has been a problem from time to time yeah. in the past so to but, me but they're kind of this, maybe going too far the other doesn't way doesn't this all come down to some decisions that we made in our society and, and, and we didn't consciously make them but they we, we sort of made them as a group and one of them was a number of years ago pick the number uh, we decided that good manners really didn't matter much anymore that yeah. they weren't important most 
most of what's on here, in fact, virtually everything that's on here in terms of interpersonal relationships is covered by good manners. Pretty much, isn't it? It is. You know, and yet, yeah, not to suggest that uh, that 50 years ago there were good manners all over the place. Absolutely not. So, you know, it's not that we've lost them. But, yeah, well, but I think we have. I think they were more prevalent. I think there was a sense in the, in the middle class in this country anyway, in the middle class who were aspiring to be the upper class, and I'm not sure they do that anymore. I don't know. But in those days we were aspiring. The middle class would say we because I came out of that. Uh, the, the aspiration was to do better than your parents had, and and one of the ways you did that was by being an upright citizen. At least that's how I was raised. Yes, this was this was one of the things you did. On who the recipient is, though, too, that that's certainly that that may be the case amongst us as again, kind of white middle class people. But if you were a black person 50 years ago, I'm reading a book right now by Stephen Kuntz, I think his name is, who wrote Flight of the Intruder, yes, and talking yeah. about going to flight school in Pensacola in the mid-60s yeah. and how they still had the um, the colored only washrooms yeah. and all that kind of stuff. That was impolite. Yeah. Well, and, <laughs> and, and, and that's exactly, if nothing else, it was impolite. That's exactly yeah. right. But that's my point. So much of this is covered, I think, if you, if you uh, either are raised in this way or avail yourself of, 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 of uh, um, bringing into your life a set of, of practices that, that are politeness, if yeah. nothing and else. Jim, isn't that, 90% isn't of this that, disappears. Isn't that kind of the same with the smoking in the car with the kids? Isn't that really an issue of politeness and consideration? I wouldn't argue that with you. Uh, and, but, but you supported a, a legal ban there, but are you, would you support legal bans here? We're not even really talking about that. Well, again, right? again the, uh, the idea, as I said before, the idea, I think, of most laws should be not so much to punish the the uh, the miscreants, but to let people know that these are the standards we've set. I don't want to see any parent pulled out of a smoky car and hauled off to jail because their kids were in the car. I'm not sure that that accomplishes in in in, the, in a total sense in society. I think you lose a lot. That parent loses more respect for the law, rightly or wrong. There's just a whole lot of complications. I'm the I, kind I, of guy I who mean. thinks I think that most rules and most laws, the purpose of them is to hang up a sign and say this is pretty much what we've agreed is a good idea. And and you know we think that. If you're really going to push us on this, then we're going to push back. But, you know, the, the speed limit is 100. If you drive 120, we're not going to give you a ticket. But, gosh, don't go 125 because you might get one. That maps out the details of the law. But I think that you've, you make an excellent point, which is that, broadly speaking, if we had a law which said generally we're going to treat each other with, with civility, respect, we have one. and fairness. We have one. It's called the golden rule. And, yeah, yeah. It, and it is not without meaning that that is at the center of virtually every major religion, religion. on this yeah. planet. Yeah. And you know what? That is just a perfect spot to end the show on because, <laughs> believe it or not, guys, the hour has flown by. I had about eight other subjects to discuss. <laughs> so, uh, hey, do we have to wait a year till we get together again to do this? You call me up. I'll be oh, here. We'll call you up. Okay. <laughs> That's it for today, folks. Uh, I guess we've got to wrap up uh, the next issue, the last issue of uh, Left, Right, and Center. So I hope you'll join us again next week on Just Right when we return in our journey in the right direction. So, uh, Jim, thank you very much. And thank Jeff, you, Bob. Appreciate the opportunity. Uh, hope we'll see you again uh, in the near future sometime. Until then, next week, folks, uh, I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, and we'll be signing off for this week. So join us again next week when we'll be continuing our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and take care. See you then. Color it to black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be alright I have three kids, by the way, one of each. I'm doing alright. So <laughs> uh, I have three boys. My oldest is 18. He wants everything. He wants those pants with a big butt in them, you know. I just gave him mine, you know. <laughs>
It's just that he wants running shoes that cost $120 now. Not, is that normal for a pair of running shoes? Or 120? He needs them for playing uh, Sega. Some special indoor shoe, apparently. So.